Well, we are in Joshua chapter three and four today, so if you wanna take your Bibles and turn there, uh, Joshua chapter three. Have you ever faced a decision or or a moment in life where you knew this decision or this action would totally change your direction in life? Yeah, how about getting engaged or married? I mean, that kind of that kind of narrows down your options in life, right? <laughs> in a good way. But every choice we make means that there's another choice we don't make. It's a life-altering moment. I mean, buying a house changes, you know, the nomadic impulse of young adulthood into, boy, I just can't pick up and leave whenever I feel like it. Right? There's choices we make. You know, you choose that team and by the time you're about eight years old that you're gonna cheer for no matter if they don't make the playoffs or not. I mean, I have friends that still cheer for the Rough Riders. (sighs) It doesn't matter. We've all had these kind of decisions in life, decisions that require actions that lead us somewhere. And those decisions and actions effectively stop us from a course of action that would have led somewhere else. Our choices have consequences. And and I know this this is kind of a silly illustration, but I thought, well, what's just kind of a, uh, I don't know, it's it's a really safe one. Uh, But when when I went to Grant McEwen Community College for music, I auditioned on both instruments that I played, guitar and saxophone. And, you know, thought, well, if I don't get in with one, I get in with the other. I really want to go to the school. I really want to study music. And so I got to the registration day, the orientation day, and they said, well, which instrument do you want to, are you going to pursue? And I said, well, both. And they just kind of laughed at me. Uh, you actually can't do that. You have to choose one at this point to go through the next two years. Our course load is too heavy to do both. And so... I had to make a choice, you know? And that, of course, steered where all my time and energy for two years went. Didn't mean I had to give up one or the other, but it did mean that I had to basically put one in the closet because they were right. There was no way I could focus on both. And so guitar it was. But often we're just, we're faced with choices that, that, that put us in a situation where we have to decide one way or the other. And as I was thinking of this, I was just thinking, you know, considering what people are having to choose to do right now in Ukraine, you know, any illustration I come up with is just going to seem silly and shallow anyway, so hardly matters. Like, people are having to make life and death long-term decisions. Do we leave the country we've grown up in that we've had a rich history in to go somewhere else? And, you know, um, my great-grandparents made that decision. Um, Talking to... uh, Pastor Henry, his parents, I believe, left this same part of the world. You know, we're not that far away, some of us, relationally, from people that had to leave Prussia, Ukraine, 100 years ago. And they make these life-changing decisions almost on a moment's notice. Well, sometimes we're faced with decisions like that. Sometimes we're just faced with a moment in our lives that we know when we cross that point, there's no going back, and it's a new day, and everything in life is going to change from that moment on. Henry Blackaby, in his study Experiencing God, and I've quoted this a number of times, 
but it's, it just always comes back to me. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. When God calls you to a new thing in life, he calls you to move and you can't stay where you are and go with God because things are always changing and God is always leading to something else. When we look at Joshua chapter three and four today, we see the people of Israel and Joshua as their new leader. They're at a decisive moment in their journey. They're about to cross the Jordan River and enter the promised land. What God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 400 years ago was about to be delivered. No, <laughs> we waited two years. Imagine waiting 400 or even 40. You know, the, the people were at this point before. They were at the same spot 40 years ago. And they sent spies into the land and they said, hey, like, let's go check it out, make sure you know it's all good. And 10 were bad and two were good. <laughs> and 40 years later, they're at the same deciding moment. Now think of this. I, I hadn't really thought of this until this week, but none of the people standing at the shore of the Jordan River that day were at the Red Sea. None of them had crossed the Red Sea. None of them had seen what God had done through the Exodus because that entire generation had passed away. The generation that experienced God at Sinai speaking the Ten Commandments, who, who experienced and built with their own hands and their own goods the, the tabernacle and, and saw the glory of God descend on it. They had a, the, those key moments all of those people are dead and gone. The people now had grown up with it. The stories of God's miraculous provision. And they had been provided for for 40 years, but they grew up with it. They, they, it was just kind of a given for them. But now they were about to face something new. Now they were about to experience God in a new way. Let's stand together as we read Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, 
Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. So the first thing we're going to notice in this passage is that God's people are to anticipate God's provision. We go back to verses 5 to 8. There was a preparation. There was a time where they were told exactly what was going to happen. The priests were, were told exactly what to do. God had led Israel to the banks of the Jordan River, and it's spring. It is flood season. The river is swollen, muddy, and raging. At any other time during the year, and if you look up pictures of the Jordan River, it's not a big river. It's not like the Fraser River. It's not even the Granby. It's just kind of a little river that goes north-south through Israel, and at any other time of the year, most, at most places, people could just walk across the river. You know, there's some holes here and there, but there's a lot of places where you can just walk across. Interestingly, God chooses when to do this. Flood season, like March, April. I mean, for us here, it would be, you know, May, because the beginning of May, it's kind of seared in my brain. You know, the year we moved here, the year of the flood, But it wouldn't be a big deal any other time of year except for the time that God chooses. See, God doesn't always wait until it's manageable. In fact, the biblical story seems to indicate that he often waits until conditions are impossible for us because he doesn't call us to walk in our own strength and abilities but to experience his glory and strength. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And so God sometimes waits until it's almost overwhelming for us or it's impossible for us so that we see his glory and his work and there's no question about it. The other thing that, that kind of 
shows that God is wanting people to experience him, him and, and to see with their own eyes what he does is he tells them, stay back. And the, the literal translation is 2,000 cubits. Well, how far is that? Well, it's about three quarters of a mile. So the priests in the Ark of the Covenant are three quarters of a mile away from everybody else. Why? Well, one, there's the issue of holiness. You know, this Ark of the Covenant stays in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, and the high priest can only go in once a year. And it's a manifestation of God's holy presence, so it's to be treated with reverence and awe. And so God says, stand way back. That's so similar to, you know, on Mount Sinai, it was like set up a perimeter. We're not told how far the people can't go up the mountain because the holiness of God will break out against them. Here we're given an actual distance for it. And I think one of the reasons is, let's not just keep a safe distance, but if a bunch of people were crowded around the ark, if they were too close, you know, about 10 rows back, nobody would see what is going on. So if everybody's like three quarters of a mile back, everybody's got a good vantage point to see the priests with the ark, with their own eyes, enter that river and see what happens. He wants them to witness the miracle. Anticipate God's provision. Keeping that great distance, most people would be able to see and the other thing, because what God wants in this moment is not just to create a nice place for them to cross the river. He has a very specific purpose for this. Verse seven again. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Again, this is like Red Sea 2.0. This is a defining moment in the life of the people in their walk with God and they need to see it and experience it and know that God is with them and God is with the one who he has called into leadership over them. See, God doesn't do this miracle simply to meet a need and he never does miracles just to meet our needs. He performs acts of power to reveal his presence with us and to further his purposes, his kingdom and his glory. Because miracles are all about the glory of God. They are about confirming God's purposes for his people. So God's people are to anticipate God's provision. God is calling the people to watch him work and then to walk in faith. They're to anticipate his provision. And secondly, the people are to follow the Lord's guidance. And got, again, we kind of looked at this last week too, that, you know, what does Joshua do throughout the book? He just obeys what God tells him to do. Follow the guidance of God. Follow the guidance of God. Imagine being one of those priests carrying the ark toward the Jordan River that day. I mean, it's, it's one thing to stand back and kind of watch it from a distance. Imagine being the guy in front Okay, here we go. I don't know what's, this is water's supposed to stop, but I got to put my toe in that river. That flooded, muddy, raging river. Imagine being that guy. Imagine then watching the waters stop 
Imagine then standing in the middle of what was a raging river while the entire camp of Israel, about two million people, cross on dry ground. And this is repeated multiple times in the passage. It wasn't a muddy, silty riverbed. It was dry ground. A solid place to stand. That is an important detail. End of the passage. They stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground. Two texts come to mind as I read this. First is Exodus 14, 29. The Red Sea parts and the people of Israel walk across on dry ground. And the second one that came to mind was Genesis 1, 9. God separates the water and dry ground appears. God just doesn't stop the waters from flowing. He provides a solid, firm place and a clear path to follow a solid place to stand and a clear path to follow. That's what God is doing here as they follow his guidance. What was an impassable barrier to the blessing that God promised dries up. He makes a way that is sure and solid and safe. God leads his people through the wilderness, brought them to this moment for the unerring purpose of revealing his glory and power, his provision and purpose. God directed them in all their journeys. And now he, and he has provided for all their needs. They've, they've eaten manna for 40 years in the wilderness. And in a few chapters, you'll see that that stops. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't give out. He has been with them every step of the way. But now they're going to experience something new that they may know that I I am with you, Joshua, and I am in the midst of the people. Well, that's, what, that's the interesting thing. Jo- the Lord says to Joshua, they're going to know that I am with you. And then Joshua says to the people, here's how you shall know the living God is among you and that he will work for you. This is about getting to know the God who is with us, the Emmanuel. He is always leading towards his purposes, and his purpose is always to lead us to himself. And the paths may be rocky, they may be difficult, they may require a lot of faith. Charles Spurgeon, June 23rd, 1872, preached on this one phrase, this is the way you have not been before. This is a new path. Here's what he had to say about this, this, the guidance of God. Your path, my dear brother, and the path of all the saints has ever been directed by the unerring skill of the great Father, and therefore it must be right. Providence cannot have placed us in the wrong position. It must be right for us to be just where we are, I, though the armed men were binding us east in, to east us into Nebuchadnezzar's furnace, heated seven times hotter than before, we are in the right place if God has brought us there. He has never erred yet, either in guiding a star in its orbit or in directing the chaff from the winnower's hand, and he cannot err in steering the course of one of his people. 
If God has brought you to it, he will lead you through it. Follow the Lord's guidance. Notice something else in this passage. The crossing of the river led them into a time of increased conflict. Now, they were entering the promised land, but it was going to be a time of increased conflict. If they had stayed on the other side of the river, wouldn't have had to fight Jericho, wouldn't have to fight Ai, wouldn't have to fight, wouldn't have to fight. We can just hang out here. God's already given this land to three and two and a half tribes. Maybe we can all fit. But he, they crossed the Jordan opposite Jericho, a walled city, the first battle they will encounter. When we follow the Lord's guidance, we will experience his presence with us, but we may also incur increased conflict. There will be voices in your life that will tell you not to pursue the path that God is paving for you. It may be your own voice and your own fears, the voice of your doubts. But will you follow the Lord's guidance? Last week, I had a great conversation with Marcus and Anya Cappers, who work with Reach Across out of Birmingham, UK. And you can find the whole conversation. It's about an hour long on our YouTube page or uh, on our podcast, uh, part of my uh, Gospel Conversations podcast. And I'm interviewing all of our missionaries this year and posting that on a monthly basis. Get to know them a bunch. I, I, I like getting to know their story because often we only hear about their ministry and I want to know, like, where were you born? What's your walk with Jesus like? How'd you get, you know, get married, your kids, your family? I want to know that stuff too because often we don't get that information. So I asked them about, you know, getting married and they said, yeah, well, you know, she was working with uh, OM on, on, a, on a ship and uh, they docked in Burnaby. She's from Germany. He's from BC here. You know, how did they meet, right? And they're like, well, she came and stayed over at our place and it was immediate. And, I, I, you know, so they, you know, told me that story of how, how they met and, and they felt the same call to ministry, the same burden for the same people groups and they just knew in that moment. And then they were looking at, well, which, which, uh, which missions organization should we go with? Well, one missions organization was saying, oh, you guys should just hold off, you know, cool the engines here on the marriage thing. Maybe go out and serve for a year or two just as singles, and then, you know, if God works it out, fine. And Reach Across was like, you know, you know, get married and let's get you on the field. And they're like, we'll go with them. <laughs> They said it was actually quite, it was, you know, that, that was it. Like, that was, it was just a matter of, it was kind of convenient, but it also fit with where they felt God was leading them. But they had to follow God's story on this. And so they got married, they got on the mission field, end of story. But they followed the Lord's guidance. Following the Lord's guidance is so crucial for our lives. And it may mean that you have to face some doubts and fears in your own life, but, and it may mean you have to take action in a certain direction where you don't necessarily know the outcome. If God is going before us and leading the way, and the river dries up for us to cross, then we had better cross it now. God is patient but he doesn't give us an open invite to obedience whenever it's convenient for us. 
Again, from Charles Spurgeon, he said this, all the verses are repeated commands from the Lord and the record of the nation's obedience thereto, from which we may gather that in time of trouble, our chief inquiry ought not to be, how shall we get through this, but what duty do we have while we are in it? How would God have us act under these circumstances? Depend upon it, there is no temptation more perilous than that of supposing that self-preservation screens us from duty and that obedience must be suspended while we provide for ourselves. Remember the words of the hymn, "'Tis mine to obey, tis his to provide." Follow the Lord's guidance. So God's people are to anticipate the Lord's provision, follow the Lord's guidance, and thirdly, God's people are to remember the Lord's works. If we go over to chapter four and verses one to seven, what happens there, just kind of the brief Cole's Notes version, is that the people cross, and then God says, Joshua, you guys need to remember this, so here's what I want you to do. Pick 12 men from the tribes, get them to go to the river where the priests are standing with the ark and grab 12 stones, bring them out, build a rock pile, and then later on in life, when you come across this rock pile, your kids will ask you, what are, what's this rock pile about? You can tell them the story. Remember the works of the Lord, because we often forget. Remembering God's works in our lives is crucial for our spiritual formation. We need to rehearse, remember, and recount and recall that God is faithful and true. And we can do this by remembering what he has done and how he has worked. So what are the spiritual rock piles in your life? Where has God made a way in the wilderness through a river into his presence and his purpose? Are you remembering his works, sharing the experiences with those around you? These rock piles are, the, are, are, are there to create questions and provide opportunities to tell the story of God's amazing grace in your life and the joys and the trials. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4, the New Living Translation says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Sometimes in life we face trials and struggles and we need to look back at the rock piles and remember what God has done, where he has led us, how he has met us, and those decisive moments that changed the course of our lives and led us to where we are today. So that one, we can minister to others, but also we can just remember that God is good and he loves us. And maybe today you're standing on the edge of a raging river in your life and you don't know if God's gonna part the waters or not. And there's something on the horizon and you don't know where it's going, but you have a sense it's gonna be life altering. And you may not wanna move forward. You might even know that it's, there's a right decision to be made and you're scared and you might be looking for God's clear direction and will. Look back and remember the rock piles reminding you of God's provision and direction and work. We have markers even in Scripture, Romans 6. Paul reminds us that our baptism is a marker of God's grace. Romans 6, 3 to 4. Do 
you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Remember your baptism as a marker of God's grace. In Romans 8, Paul reminds us that in Christ, we are freed from the law of sin and death in verses 8, 1 to 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Remember what God has freed you from in the life and death of Christ. And Hebrews 12, one and two reminds us that the history of God's people is a source of encouragement in the midst of trials. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, we may not build physical rock piles today, but we need to remember the cross of Jesus Christ and the reality of his resurrection in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as a foundation of our faith. And these are great biblical theological truths we need to cling to. But there are also moments unique in your journey with Jesus that have left their mark on your heart and life. Moments where God's presence was close, his comfort was real, and his love tangible. And perhaps you need to spend some time this week building a spiritual rock pile, remembering the goodness of God in your life. Write it down. Write your story. And then look at the current overflowing river you may be encountering and move forward in faith and confidence that the God who has led you in the past will lead you into the future with the same care, comfort, and courage. Anticipate the Lord's provision. Follow the Lord's guidance and remember the Lord's works. The closing thought from Spurgeon's message over a hundred years ago speaks to us today too. Jesus is very dear to every child of God, but to those most tried, he is the most precious. You who have had him with you when everyone else has left, you know what a dear friend he is. You who have been nursed by him when your bones have come through your skin know what a beloved physician he is. You who have been soothed and fed and led and guided by him when all around has been a wilderness to you know what a good shepherd he is. And you who have been upon the brink of death and have seen all things melt away, know how blessedly he is immortality and life and what a faithfulness dwells in him sufficient to fill the soul 
when all created joys are gone. O Lord, if it will magnify Jesus, do what thou wilt with your people. Not one of us would flinch and try to make provision for the flesh if Jesus can be made great. For any other reason less than this, we would not say as much. But for Jesus' glory, for magnifying his name, if thou wilt give us strength, we will not dread martyrdom, though it be by fire. Anything for Jesus, everything for Jesus. Does not your heart say so, my brother? I know it does if you are loyal to your Savior. And therefore today you will shoulder the new cross. You will grasp the fresh weapons of this changed warfare. You will take up the new tools in a fresh corner of the vineyard, though you have not gone this way heretofore. If it be for Jesus' honor for us to advance, who desires to loiter? Forward then is the message of today to all soldiers of Christ. Great Joshua, lead the way. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you provide leadership and guidance that we can anticipate your provision because you are the good shepherd who leads your people in the right paths. And Lord, when we come to the raging, turbulent waters in our lives, when it seems impossible, we know that you can make a way. And there may be a time of preparation. There was a, a time of sanctifying and waiting before the day. There was a distance from your holiness that had to be observed, a reverence, so that it would be clearly seen that it was the work of God. So Lord, for those today who are facing a raging, turbulent river, Lord, would you give them eyes to see your hand of, to, to work in this situation? Lord, that they would experience the waters parting and the dry ground appearing so that the way would be clear. But more than that, that your presence would be so real in the midst of it. As in this passage, God says over and over, so you will know my presence goes with you. Lord, in whatever we are facing today whatever river we need to cross into whatever conflict that you have waiting for us on the other side. May we walk forward anticipating your provision, following your instruction, and remembering your works for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll stand for the benediction. Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.